Alexis Diaz gets saddled with his fourth blown save of the year, but we'll tell you why that's not the real story of the ninth inning in last night's loss. There is some roster wonkiness afoot with the Cincinnati Reds, but it's okay because the Reds have a guy named Chucky. Uh, we are also going to be talking about selling baseball teams. No, not this baseball team, at least not just yet. Uh, but we've got all that and more on today's Locked on Reds. Let's go. You are Locked on Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds with myself, Jeff Carr, and my co-host, Stephen Offenbaker. We are lifelong fans that have turned an addiction into this franchise, into information for you. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and we are your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We are free and available on all platforms five days a week. Thanks again for uh, checking out today's episode because we are going to be talking about just um, a performance. That's the nice way of saying last night from the Reds and specifically from one dude in center field. We're also going to look at a lot of movement in the Reds roster and including a couple of guys that are not being called up and why the Reds are not calling them up. Plus, we're going to broach the subject of Artie Moreno selling the Los Angeles Angels and why that makes Reds fans, including us, jealous. But. We must start with what happened last night, because what happened last night was a nice, furious comeback. TJ Friedel with a beautiful two-run triple in the top of the ninth inning to give the Reds a lead, a a very hard-fought game. This was, honestly, if you're unbiased and untethered to either one of these teams, you're like, that's a pretty good baseball game. But the way that the Reds lost it just absolutely made me lose it after the game. And quite frankly, I think it's a good thing that we slept on this before we recorded because that was just unbelievable. And I have a question for you, Steve, what the heck are we doing with Nixon Zell? Well, it's funny. Cause I know that uh, anybody that just happened to glance at the box score sees Alexis Diaz fourth blown save. And right. I know that that just makes you infuriated in your chair over there because that does not tell you the story of this game. Uh, what are the Reds doing with Nick Senzel? I think that uh, there's two schools of thought here. Uh, I, I know that uh, we all saw Bobby Nightingale tweeted out that picture of Nick Senzel uh, taking infield yesterday or day before in Philadelphia, uh, leading to speculation that maybe they're going to transition him into a super utility role uh, once Almora Jr. returns from the injured list. I don't know that that's necessarily what's going on with Nick Senzel. I think that, uh, that this part of the conversation actually can tie into our, our roster wonkiness that we're going to talk about coming up here in a few minutes because uh, even absent of all that, just Nick Senzel's center field play last night, uh, you know, I'll, I'll let you walk us through the ninth inning and, and your thoughts on exactly what happened with that throw. Uh, but that was the second time in the game that he p- performed poorly in center field and it led to runs earlier in that game. You know, he goes out there and catches a ball off the wall and then drops it on the track. And that allows the runners to move up an extra base, allows a run to score. Uh, so uh, he definitely was not having a very good day out there. Now, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what the sight lines are like in center field. I don't know if there were, uh, you know, outside factors contributing to how he played. But if you just take it, you know, with the eye test, watching him play yesterday, not a great performance at all throughout the game. 
No, and, and really just to walk you through the play, because what happened was you had a guy on first base and you had Bryson Stott up to bat. Stott hits a towering, a rainbow. This thing brought rain with it. I mean, it was so high up in the air. Honestly, I thought it was a walk-off two-run home run. And then it hits off the top of the right field wall there uh, in Philadelphia's ballpark, and it just bounces up even higher. It, it felt like there for a minute. And Aquino was up against the wall, so Aquino was not going to make a play on this. Senzel was backing him up. He's able to grab the ball off of the bounce and then turns around and just chucks it. I mean, does a thing that a little league ball player knows you don't do. He overthrew, and there was I saw some commentary about this because they're like, well, why was Jose Barrero right behind the relay guy? Because it's like a double relay situation. If maybe you miss the up relay, you get the back relay guy, and then Barrero can chuck it home and make sure nobody scores. Well, Nixon Zell airmails this thing to the point that I don't think Yao Ming is catching the ball if he's one of the relay guys, and then Alejo Lopez has to come halfway down the third base line just to pick it up so that it doesn't turn into an inside-the-park home run for Bryson Stott. What should have been a double with a guy on third base and you know nobody out at that point, yeah, that's a pressure-packed situation, but the tying run doesn't score. Instead, absolutely terrible throw that completely gave the game to the Phillies at that point. And look, I know one play does not make a career, but this one play is indicative of where we are with Nixon Zell. This year, he was supposed to prove it, and he's proving the opposite. You know, I look at Nick and... What I think I might do is do an exercise where I go back and look at him over the last couple of years and just watch some film because I think the thing that's changed the most, Jeff, is just the lens in which we are looking at him through. Yeah. Uh, up until yeah, this point, that. we have looked at him as being the center fielder, the future, the guy, the the talent, the prospect, the the number one. The, all of these things, have he's, he's carried these labels all throughout his career up to this point. And that's no longer true. Now he's the guy that has to prove it. Now he's in danger of being a journeyman. Now he's in danger of being a super utility. Now he's in danger of being all these other things because the Reds farm system is a top five farm system with more talent than it knows what to do with. So I think the thing that has changed the most is our tolerance and our willingness to give Nick Senzel the benefit of the doubt. This might be just who he's been all along and we were too busy trying to, to hope for the best to see it. That's true. I, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, like whenever he first came up, he was innocent until proven guilty, and now he's guilty until proven innocent. That's mm -hmm. kind of where we're stuck with him. Yeah, but, absolutely. But, but but I also look at it as just indicative of the body of performance this year. If you look at this entire season, he's never been as healthy as he's been this year. He has a 69 OPS plus, and his outs above average in center field is negative one. Like, we're not talking about a, a, a terrible detriment here in the field, but we're also not talking about a net positive. We're, we're talking about a guy that, whatever, he's okay. He's okay in center field. And you've got some possible, you know, athletes that are coming up who are probably going to be better than okay. And that is where I get this, this notion that he has not done anything to show me he deserves to be the opening day center fielder next year. No, and I imagine he's feeling the pressure, Jeff. Uh, I mean, I think you made a great point there. It's He's not played uh, consistently, and he's not played, you know, he's not been healthy and played a long enough stretch for us to actually identify 
peaks and valleys in <laughs> what he's what he's doing through the course of the season because he'll get hot and he'll get hurt and that whole thing gets derailed he'll be kind of in a slump but he'll get hurt and we don't see how he works through it this is the first time we've actually had the opportunity to watch how he responds to a little bit of everyday on the field adversity so uh, in that respect you know I'm willing to give him the benefit of doubt we've talked about this with other guys Jose Barrero being one that we just want him to get run out there every day, play. It's about repetitions, not results. I, I I have that same thought in mind for Nick Senzel, and it's a little bit harder because he's been here so long, but I think that that applies to him as well. There's nobody right now that he's blocking from coming up here and getting playing time. Uh, there's nobody right now that he's preventing from developing. Uh, there's not a center fielder ready to take over today. So in my mind, we continue to run him out there. Let's not put him in some weird utility role for a guy that's not going to be on this team in a couple years i'm talking about almora jr let's not move senzel someplace else so that almora can play let's continue to run senzel out there and see if he can figure it out over the course of the rest of the season because then if he can't you have some questions that you need to answer in the offseason but moving him into a super utility role uh, that i think they're going to want to put kyle farmer into beginning next season is not going to be the answer no i agree there like just the way that this roster shakes out and it makes no sense to want to make a move for Albert Elmora Jr. because that was what uh, Bobby Nightingale was kind of guessing at. It wasn't as if he got a report that that was happening, but that's what he was thinking. But also that just shows to me that the Reds really are still ambivalent about Nick Senzel and what he brings to the table. So I do wonder a little bit if, you know, we can talk about whether they have treated his career fairly drafting him as a third baseman saying, okay, as he was coming up through the minor leagues, yeah, maybe you'll play second a little bit. And then right there toward the end of his minor league career. Oh no, no, no. You're going to play center field. And now it's just like, you know, whether or not it's been fair, that's debatable, but it's not been a success. That's for sure. Let's touch on that. Um, that I'm more a take for just a second, because you know, Nightingale put that out there and, Listen, these beat writers don't generally put out a hot take like that unless there's something right, Bobby knows it. what's up. Yeah. Bobby knows what's up. They don't necessarily put something out there like that unless they've heard something. So, you know, while maybe there was somebody that talked to him off the record, maybe there was somebody that he overheard part of a conversation about. I don't think Bobby Nightingale's throwing that whole thing out there unless there has been some whispers at yeah. the very minimum. So uh, maybe the Reds will hear some feedback about that and change their mind. Cause I really don't think that's the direction to go. And uh, if you want to know a little bit more about how the Reds feel about his bat, they had him bunt last night with a runner on second base. Yeah. I mean, I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to get into bunting right now, but uh, you don't ask a guy that you're expecting to get some good hits out of to uh, lay down a bunt. For a second. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I think the big takeaway, Jeff, is that in a career that's been plagued by uncertainty and injury, we can debate if it's been fair to Nick Senzel, but it surely has not been a success. Uh, the Reds made some more injured list moves yesterday, and they also uh, removed a player from the game as well so we're going to get into another episode of the days of our injuries coming up next uh, you know what jeff though we spend a lot of time trying to have a good time here and a lot of time uh, goofing around but i want to turn serious for just a second because uh drunk driving is a problem nationwide and just imagine a scenario where you're hanging out with some friends and putting back a few drinks a few becomes a few too many 
as the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride, but then you're like, nah, I live close. I, I'm just right around the corner. I can make it home okay. It's no big deal. Uh, what are the odds that you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance could go up. You could lose your license. You could lose your job. You could total your car. But you could kill someone. Everybody knows about the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while they're under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, coming up later this week on the podcast, I have another interview. That's right. We are just knocking them out, folks. Another lefty in the bullpen session, this time with uh, Bally Sports Ohio pre- and post-game host, Annie Sabo. Sabo is a name that we all know. If you grew up in this area in the 90s, you know, her dad, part of the wire-to-wire World Series champion, Cincinnati Reds, uh, had a great conversation with her. It was really uh, an opportunity to get to know her and and her journey through broadcasting and what ultimately led for her uh, return to Cincinnati. So we're going to talk about that coming up. But Jeff, there's a lot of other things to talk about first. Uh, First and foremost, the roster moves. It's like, I wonder if David Bell even knows like the guys in the clubhouse (laughs) anymore. I can see him walking through and like, who the hell's that guy? Who's I just, what is going on? I just just, imagine him calling to the bullpen asking for like, uh, uh, can we, no, he's not there. Oh, Oh, I have, no, he's not there either. Um, all right, give me a list. Who's here? <laughs> We're just asking for a hand. Anybody that's left-handed, have them warm up. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's that's basically what it is. And especially when he's filling out his lineup anymore too. There's there's injuries. There's this. There's that. The other. And starting pitching too. Let's start first with that because Graham Ashcraft was put on the injured list with sore biceps, is what the report was. And if um, you listen, I, I heard on the pregame show on the radio yesterday, they did this segment, you know, ask the manager with David Bell. And Tommy even kind of gave him an out in the question. He was just like, or do you know, is this kind of something you want to, you know, give him a little bit of break? Maybe it's super precautionary, but he's totally fine. And we'll see him back here in a couple of weeks. And David Bell didn't even take that easy out. He was just like, yeah, you know, we're, we're just waiting to see back about the, uh, you know, see the severity, but, uh, the reports are, it's, you know, it's, it's not that severe. It's just like, okay, I understand. You can't just come out and say that this is us managing his innings because then that would be like, you know, some sort of unfair manipulation of the injured list, but that's what they're doing here. That's, that's what this is. Well, okay. I think there is an element of that. Let's, let's, let's try and look at this objectively. Maybe, um, Yeah, there's an element of managing his innings, and he's probably coming up against that number. If you look at what he pitched last year versus this year, he's pretty close to it. Um, But for for that whole thing to work, I mean, the players have to go along with it. You know, Graham Ashcraft would have to be willing to, like, sit silently and say, yeah, 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 my bicep is hurt. So I see it probably more as like this. You know, he's with the trainer in a normal uh, post-outing you know, review, getting a rub down, getting his arm, ice, whatever. And trainer says to him, Hey, how's your arm? Oh, you know, normal stuff. I got my biceps a little sore, but 
his biceps sore injured list <laughs> that's how you know and right. and ultimately then the player reported the injury but the reds can use it as a means to an end to kind of keep him available to the end of the season so are they playing that game yes but i don't think it's quite as you know schemy as we're i first off i don't give them that much credit to be that schemy <laughs> second off i don't think the players are going to buy into going along with that and being like oh yeah wink i'm hurt i don't think they're going to do that either. these guys are competitors especially these rookies they want to get out there they want to continue to develop so i don't think That's it's true. just quite that dastardly as as we're making it out to be that's very true and, and he wasn't the only guy that got put on the il matt reynolds did as well which you know matt reynolds has turned in an okay season it's not anything that's going to set the world on fire he's had some moments but statistically he's not really a guy that the reds are going to miss or, or do they really need to worry about you know losing playing time in fact young guys should be playing over him anyway including the guy who was called up in his stead and he played last night Stuart fairchild it's good to see him get some more run. I feel like he deserves a more of a run than Aquino even, and not just, you know, talking about Matt Reynolds, but he was called up. TJ Zoik was called up to replace Ashcraft. He's actually starting tonight. Uh, and, and then you had Chucky Robinson being called up as Michael Papirski was sent down. Michael Papirski's, uh, the, the, uh, Michael Papirski experience, I believe is over. I don't think we're going to yeah, see our buddy Ken's buying those jerseys right now. <laughs> yes, he is. So those were the moves that were made. There was also another move that was made. This was not uh, a call-up or a send-down or something. The Reds made a signing. They signed Stephen Piscotty, which you've heard the name before because he's played for the Cardinals for multiple years, and he's uh, most recently played for the Oakland A's. Signed him to a minor league deal. And I'm not going to lie. When I first saw this news, knee-jerk reaction, I was like, oh, oh okay, I kind of like this. Then you look into his numbers a little bit, and let's be honest, the Reds are really just kind of hoping he finds some sort of resurgence here. But again, it's it's hope. This you is a depth means. move, Jeff. There, yeah. this is this is they, so this is a guy they can bring to the to the major leagues this season uh, if needs arise. It doesn't start any clocks. It doesn't make yeah. things crazy five years down the road to to try and manage this roster. He, he's a placeholder. He's a fill-in. Um, I don't see it as anything more than that. Now, if he comes up and has success, woohoo! But at, at the same time, it's it's a it's a signing that at the end of the year, uh, nobody's going to have heartburn over watching him walk away. So I, yeah. I, I think that that's what that's all about. Yeah, his, his last four years have been kind of rough in Oakland, especially the last three. He's only played a total of 169 games with an OPS of under 80 in each of those three seasons. So we're not talking about a dude that's really going to set this lineup on fire or anything like that. The interesting thing will be if there is a move made and he's called up, because again, it's a minor league deal. He's in Louisville right now. Um, but if there's a move and he gets called up, they will have to add him to the 40 man roster. So there will have to be a move. I reckon they probably DFA Papirski or, or something like that, but there, there will be somebody that is cut off of the 40 man roster. And, and, and on that note for just a moment too, something that our buddy Doug said on Twitter yesterday, he was talking about, you know, some cuts that probably need to be made in the off season. There's going to be a lot of dudes, a lot of prospects that need to be added to the 40-man roster. So guys that we're seeing right now, we may not see next year. Some guys that that we kind of think, you know, might stick around probably won't be. Or at least they will have to be brought back on a minor league deal. But yeah. Um, one other thing, though. Moose, again, I, I, 
there's there's some speculation it might have been a cramp, but it's the same calf that he was just on the injured list for. Here we go again, Steve. Well, you Short know how I place. feel about these pulled muscles, and I think that they've done a horrible job this season of managing any of the players that have come up with any kind of pulled muscle. Uh, Jonathan India's hamstring, you know, failure number one. But you look at this, you look at Mustakis. If he's hurt, if he can't go today, listen, if he can't play today, put him on the injured list because it's a reoccurring injury to the same muscle. I'm really tired of this shorthandedness. I understand there's not a lot of help in Louisville right now. There's not a lot of guys they're willing to call up, but somebody's better than nobody. And you're taking on a Phillies team that has a pretty loaded lineup and you want to go and approach it shorthanded. It's craziness. Um, You know, I, I don't mind at all the fact that they're looking at some youngsters and playing guys. And I've even said myself, it should be repetitions based, not results based, but you have to try. You can't just throw the game at the beginning before it's even played. Uh, They did that recently by starting Sessa. I felt like that was a throwaway game. And if you approach a game, approach a game like this with the Phillies, and you start out shorthanded, you're throwing that game away too, in my mind. Now, maybe they get lucky. Maybe it doesn't impact them, but that's not really been the story of their season. You know, if it can go bad for them, it has. So, you know, do we really want to be in a situation where we're in the ninth inning, they need a bat, and they've got nobody because Mike Moustakis is down there twiddling his thumbs? I don't understand the Reds' willingness to do that all season, and uh, it needs to stop. The only argument I could possibly see is that they're like, well, maybe we can repair a little bit of his value and trade him in the off season. I don't think there's enough time to do that. He, he, literally, he'd I think have he'd to have... hit a home run every day the rest of the season for <laughs> anyone to be willing to take on that $16 million plus a buyout. There's no way. No way. No way. So, yeah, put him on the IL. Do right by him. Make sure he recovers. And do right by some other guys because we have some thoughts about as to why Spencer Steer hasn't yet been called up. Like, I mean, we're still making other moves and not calling him up. We're not calling up Brandon Williamson. I don't really understand that. We'll get into all of that here in just a moment. But also, real quick, on on the point about, you know, punting games, the Phillies see this, by the way. This isn't just a, you know, us being down on the reds like the Phillies see this they called up a dude from triple a to start today a guy who's made two starts this year and they're just like the quote an NBC sports Philadelphia was yeah we believe that you know we can handle a team like we can handle this game today with um the guy that's starting and I've, I've forgotten his name Sanchez um with Sanchez starting for us they can handle it i.e. they don't mind punting because they know that the Reds are just constantly punting. It's, yeah, it's that, That's very telling. It says a whole lot. That quote says a whole lot. <sighs> well, we know this. As the Reds continue to find out who will be here for the future, there's still going to be a lot more shifts coming. This, uh, this is going to be a thing multiple times. You're going to want to stay tuned right here, Locked On Reds. Make sure you're following the podcast because we'll keep you up to date on all the moves that happen because there's still plenty more moves coming, especially when the rosters expand by two in September. That's just going to continue to be more and more, you know, bring ups and send downs and all that wonderful stuff. Well, Steve, with all these roster moves that are being made, where is Spencer Steer and Brandon Williamson? Um, We look at what the Reds reasoning is behind keeping those guys in AAA coming up next, but First, let's take a look at tonight's game. I mentioned Sanchez is on the mound for the Phillies. TJ Zoik is up instead of Graham Ashcraft. So you know what that means. Take the over. The over currently at Bet Online is nine. 
not nine and a half, nine. So take it. I, I don't know how else to say this other than bet the over on tonight's game. I am. I already have. TJ Zoik in his two starts has given up six runs in each start. Sanchez only has like one pitch. That he, he throws a sinker. He's got two other pitches. He does not throw his changeup against lefties. The Reds are going to throw out a ton of right-handed guys, especially with Moose not being in the lineup. And the Reds have actually hit left-handed pitchers better than right-handed pitchers this season. Go look it up. Their splits flipped from last year. So, yes, take the over nine. Plus, I got one other thought for you, a prop bet for tonight's game that I'm taking because he hasn't done it in a while, and I think he's due. Jonathan India is going yard tonight. Bet Online has the odds at India going yard at plus 450. And if you want to follow or fade me, you got to check out betonline.net. Betonline.net is going to give you the information for your next great bet. You got to check it out today on your mobile device or on your desktop as well because they've got all of the trends and actions each and every day. Betonline is where the game starts. Thanks again for making Lockdown Reds your first listen of the day. Make sure you're following us on YouTube. You can also make sure that you click the bell to get notified whenever we have a new premiere or we go live. We're going to be doing the live thing a little bit more often. Not this week, but probably next week. And follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Carr, like the nameplate says right there. You can also follow Steve at S. Offenbaker with two Fs as the nameplate says right there. And you can follow the show at Lockdown Reds. All right, Steve, I pose the question to you. Where's Spencer Steer and Brandon Williamson already? I mean, come on. All right, let's start with a couple things. First, shameless uh, self-promotion. If you haven't watched my interview with Spencer Steer, it's in our feeds, both audio and video. Go check it out. He talks about playing multiple positions. He talks about his willingness to do so. And then lo and behold, the the bats stick him in the outfield for the first time in his pro career just last night. So movement is a foot with Spencer steer. Uh, maybe they're grooming him for something, but uh, the reason he's not here, Jeff, the reason that we haven't seen him is I really truly believe the reds are trying to stagger the start times of these players. And I don't think it's a whole nefarious. We're going to manipulate the service time so that we can, I don't think that's what they're doing. I really believe that Nick crawl is looking at this roster with a long lens view. He's looking at the four or five, six years down the road, where if they're going to truly embrace this model, they're going to have to start trading some of these guys because they can't sign them all. Uh, even the Dodgers probably wouldn't be able to sign all of these guys that are going to come do at the same time. Uh, the Reds, I think, will try to sign one, maybe two of them, but then you got to trade the rest. So I think Nick Crawl is looking at it through that lens. I think he doesn't want to bring up the next wave of people that he's going to have to get into this situation with until next season. Uh, that being said, Spencer Steer should be here yesterday, uh, especially with this Mike Moustakis re-injury. Uh, the, they talked about it on the broadcast yesterday. I don't know if you caught it, but they were asking Jim Day, well, who's going to play first base? The answer was, you know, Kyle Farmer needs to be the guy that plays first base. He's done it. He know he can play over there. So for me, we go back to what we talked about. Farmer to first and Spencer Steer called up to play third. Uh, Williamson, same type of deal. I think that you want to manage the number of starting pitchers uh, that you're going to have to think about moving all at the same time. Uh, the Reds are in a situation where, you know, 
they could have four guys if they brought up Williamson now. They could have four guys out of the same rotation in the same year that they have to try and figure something out. And that's that's enough to derail whatever progress they make between now and when that time comes. You can't really recover from losing four talented arms all at the same time like that. So, I mean, look what happened to this rotation just trading Castillo and Mali at the same time. You don't want to get into that boat. So that's what I think is going on, Jeff. I don't think... I don't think it's it's quite as as evil as years past and things they pulled with like Nick Senzel. I think that it's really more about long-term roster management in a way that at least in my head makes sense. I do wonder if it's a strategy that Nick Crawl should be looking at is to stagger their extensions, maybe buy out some uh, arbitration years and maybe buy out one or two free agent years and have it staggered so like okay Lodolo you extend him to this year then you extend Green one more year then you extend extend Ashcraft one more year or whatever that's just an example mm -hmm. um now again maybe I'm giving this front office too much credit but they should be thinking about something like that and we'll have to see exactly how they play that over the next couple of years that's something that will be on Nick Crawl's on, on our grading sheet for Nick Crawl how does he mm -hmm. build this team but how does he also maintain the guys that he already has up that's going to be important to watch out for. And, and I think that that's worth looking at, but I do agree with you. I think if you're not going to do that and you're going to have a situation where four starting pitchers come due at the same time, that's not an enviable, enviable position to be putting this franchise in. No. And, and you hit on this uh, the other day when we were talking about uh, that, that article surrounding the trade deadline and how they didn't talk to Luis Castillo until the 11th hour. And, you know, you indicated, you know, that really should have happened sooner. And, you know, I agree with that. Um, so this is an opportunity to now get that right. They got it wrong with Luis Castillo. They waited too long. And, and clearly that was an ownership decision that was done on purpose. So, you know, if they are moving this new direction, this is a component of that. You can, mm -hmm. you can, you can trade everybody and flip the roster and churn it and continually replace and be a, more like Tampa, but even Tampa signs people, they keep some people around and they, that's the next phase of this. And you're right. That's the next big grade area for Nick crawl. What, what do they do with buying out arbitration years? What do they do with, with fixing this problem of not having any staggered, uh, expiration of contracts? So you're right. That's going to be something to definitely pay attention to as they move into this off season. And it's not going to be next year because you still need to see more from these guys, but after next year, they have no guaranteed money on the books. So they'll have plenty to work with, plenty of space, plenty of, you know, a nice blank slate, if you will, to work with. And he's got to look at these players a little bit like their stocks. You know, you know, if the stock is up, realize that you're probably going to be trying to buy him at the highest point of his value. Maybe try and figure out where that is and try and sign him before he reaches that point. That's all I'm saying. Just be a little bit more thinking outside the box with these contract extensions and not waiting until the last moment to approach the player about them. See, and I, I think just on that point, Jeff, and I know we're trying to move it along, but the what you just said, I don't know that I agree with. I think of these three pitchers, I would identify whichever one performed the best this season, and I would look to get it done already. I would, I would identify one of the three and get it done. For me right now, that's probably Lodolo. I think that's the one you go out and, and maybe try and just get something done already. I think that motivates the other two a little bit because then the following offseason, you catch one of the other two. 
and, and so on and so forth and start doing some of those same things. You might want to have that conversation with Jonathan India also here pretty yes. quick. And yeah. maybe it's a good time to to nail down Tyler Stevenson coming off that injury because I, the way that bat was looking, he's going to quickly get too expensive for them to, to buy out arbitration years. Very quickly. Yeah, I definitely. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and if the news came out in January or February that they've done that, I mean, we're going to be excited about that. Mm-hmm. that that's going to be a lot to look forward to. Something else that doesn't necessarily have a specific date as to when it would happen, but something to look forward to, at least for Angels fans, is uh, Artie Moreno has decided he will sell the team. He's been the owner of the team, the principal owner of the Los Angeles Angels for 20 years, and he has decided now that the time has come to sell out, to, to get rid of the team, let somebody else run the ship, and it's very interesting to me because there's a parallel, not necessarily in the value, because don't get me wrong, the Angels are valued at over $2.2 billion. The Reds right now are like $1.1, $1.2 billion. At least that's according to Forbes back in March. So I think there's a bit of a difference there. But the parallel to me is the fact that Artie Moreno is very well known for trying to run things, maybe being meddlesome, depending on who you ask. Uh, sounds like some owners that I know. And boy, can you imagine a situation where the angels get a guy who buys the team and just says, here we go. I bought the team. I'm the owner. Here's the guy that I want to run things. All right. You run things. I'm just going to set up on my owner's box and enjoy the show. I I would love that. Jeff, Steve Cohen already bought a baseball team. (laughs) There's gotta be more like him though, right? He's not the only guy in the world. That's going to do that. Like the guardians. and, And I know. Guardians fans complain to no end about their low payroll, but their ownership does it right. Their ownership gives their their executives a a salary ceiling with which to use on their team. And but then they let you know, okay, here's the money that you can use. Now go use it. Well, we won't tell you what to do. Like the only thing we'll tell you what to do is how high you can go in the cost. And and I really I just wish and honestly, if the Castellinis came out tomorrow and said that that's how they're going to operate, I would be excited because we know that's not how they operate. No, and I wouldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. That, that's okay. We're going to operate like that for like two weeks and then, all right, two weeks But, you later. know, to, to your point, Jeff, uh, there are a lot of uh, parallels. There are a lot of similarities. Um, it'll be interesting what the Angels actually sell for it because you're right. The valuation is a little bit different, but I have long maintained that the Castellinis are never going to sell the, sell the Reds because there's nothing else that they could do that's going to bring them the kind of money that owning the Reds brings them. Now, you know, you're, you're getting into the billions of dollars. Maybe at that point it does become uh, attractive for them to sell because, listen, Phil Castellini is not going back to run in the produce stand. He won't do it as long as if there's some kind of big end game money in it for him, maybe the Reds sell this team or maybe they sell the Reds, but it's, it's, I don't, I just don't see it. I think that we can, we can dream about it. I think that we can, we can pretend what it would be like if a, a, a fancy ownership group came in and, and changed the way things are done. But I just don't see it. I think that the Castellinis are the last of the small time ownership groups that are ever going to be able to buy a professional sports team. And they're going to hold on to that with everything they've got. And that's where I think, because like you mentioned, Steve Cohen already bought a team, but I think that the, the days of, you know, 
a bunch of people that might just have the means to buy a team, getting together and buying a team that's done for like mm-hmm. now, maybe you have groups like the Dodgers have where you have just multi hundred millionaires getting together and doing their thing, but it's still going to be a group of people that know what they're doing with a baseball team. They're going to invest in that team so that they win because that's the whole reason to buy a team in the first place is it's kind of an ego trip. Like, look at my team, look how good they are. Look how much they win. But that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a team that's going to buy it and then operate it as it's a, um, what, what do they call it? A break even? Like that's, mm-hmm. that makes, if I were another baseball owner and I heard the Castellini say that, I'd be like, yo, what are you talking about? That makes no sense, dude. No, I agree. I think that, uh, it's they're 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 going to be around for a while and they're going to be the old way for a long time. Totally agree with that, Steve. Unfortunately. All right, Jeff. I think that's the spot we wrap it up today. I know we didn't end on a high note there, but it is what it is. That is going to do it for this edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. Coming up later this week, I'll drop another interview. This one with Annie Sabo. You know the name. You're going to get to learn lots about her. It was a great conversation. Can't wait for you to hear it. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen. Now make your second listen, the Locked On MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and his unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked On MLB, on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jeff. Things are a little wonky. The roster is weird. We got a guy named Chucky. Uh, Things are still going in a direction we're not happy about. But what can the people count on from me and you? They can count on our analysis of a guy named Zoik throwing to a guy named Chucky. They can count on us keeping them up to date with all the roster moves that are about to happen here soon and continue to happen on a daily basis. And they can count on us to be locked on Reds every single day.